Please join me in reading today's scripture found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we're on the final chapter. We've been, since the early last fall, we've been looking through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and we've worked our way through Ephesians when Sid preached his last sermon. Um, it was the end of chapter 5, so we're so close to the end, I wanted the next two weeks to finish off um, uh, studying the book of Ephesians. And so I want to remind us really quick of our context, what we've looked at. As we've looked at the book of Ephesians, we've seen uh, the glory of Christ in the life of the church. That the church, in the church we find a community that is built on, formed by, and is overflowing with the good news of Jesus Christ, or as Damon said earlier, that the church is the people of God on mission for the splendor of the king. And so to find our context, let's look back at the beginning of chapter 5, and this is what uh, the beginning of chapter 5 said. Paul wrote that, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And in verse 18, it says, uh, be filled, to be filled with the Spirit. In verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so God is calling us um, as his children to imitate him in our relationships. And at the end of Ephesians, he chooses, at the end of Ephesians, he chooses three different authoritative structures in household relationships to apply this to. To marriage, which Sid preached to. And today we're going to look at the parent-child relationship and the slave-master relationship. Now before we jump in and go through our outline, I do want to give a few words just of context and clarification. Anytime we bring up this, the passage of slavery, questions come up. So this is not the, the chattel slavery of America's history where it was done by kidnapping for a lifelong duration designated by ethnicity. Most slaves would have become so either by their desperate needs for work and provision, indebtedness, or they were abandoned in childhood. Slavery provided a context that they could become a part of this household unit designated for a certain period of time. However, because of man's sinfulness, this could often be unjust and unfair work. Slaves could be subject to cruelty and being taken advantage of, even beaten and imprisoned. And so Paul teaches Christians in this context to live faithfully to the Lord, both master and slave. As one commentary put it, with inspired wisdom, the apostle enables the gospel to progress into a society that approves slavery 
while at the same time planting seeds for its own destruction. And history proves it uh, to be true that this indeed has taken place in different forms through men like William Wilberforce in Britain and how it affected the United States, as well as further efforts from men like Martin Luther King Jr. and others. And sadly, this has not always been the case in the U.S., and we, and we grieve that. But what true freedom is and how we find it in Christ does speak to the social ills and the authorities of our day. One other comment. The slave-master relationship that we read about in our passage um, is often applied in our context in the employee-employer context. Obviously, there's a lot of discontinuity there. Um, and so it's hard for us to apply uh, specifically to what Paul's saying. But we can learn general principles from this. And so that's how I hope in a more general way to apply it to us uh, this morning. But I'm going to spend most of our time on the parent-child relationship that Paul speaks to. And so if you don't have children, don't just shut your ears for the whole sermon. One, you are a child. You're a child of some physical parents, but also a child of God. And you're a part of this community, where this community together is trying to honor God, be on mission, where our kids need you. The youth of this church need you. Parents we need, this is a community endeavor. And so, with that being said, I want to put those things out front. And we're going to look at our passage. Um, but before that, let me just pray really quick for uh, God to speak to us. Father, that's indeed what I ask. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We acknowledge that you're here. And we believe that your word um, is active. And they can penetrate and char- uh, change our hearts. Help us to see you through all of this, that we might walk in true freedom on mission for you, for the splendor of the King. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, So I've never done this before. If we were another church and all the kids were in here, I would invite the kids forward. But Paul's words are two kids. And so I want to start off the sermon actually reading us a kid's story. We actually started reading this to our kids this week. Uh, it's a storybook that kind of teaches how to view wor- uh, life through um, a biblical lens. But if you will, I'm going to read our first story, Frog's Rainy Day Story. Here we go, class. Um, it was a rainy day, too rainy for even a frog to go out to play. I'll stay inside and write a story, thought Frog. So he took a pen and a piece of paper and started to write. Once upon a time. Suddenly, Frog saw something strange, very strange. The letters were marching towards the edge of the page. Stop, shouted Frog. I'm using you to write a story. Capital O rolled out front and looked up at Frog. That's just the problem. We're sick and tired of being used. To you, we're merely tools to be bossed around. Stay here and make this word. Go there and make that word. Yeah, said T, leaning forward in a gruff, italic stance. I'm tired of being told what to do. I want to do my own thing. And I want to feel important for a change, said N. But you are important, answered Frog. Without you, I can't write words. We'll have no stories to make us laugh and cry. That proves our point, said M. 
The only thing you care about is stories. You never say, what a wonderful M. Yeah, said you. The stories get the glory and we get the low self-esteem. Another added said, A, why am I lowercase when capital O is uppercase? We should be equal. Yeah, we should all be rich, said P. Rich, rich, rich. Fame and fortune. Fame and fortune. Um, yelled the letters, marching again towards the edge of the page. Wait, said Frog. You're created to make words. If you don't make words and stories, what are you going to do? The letters stopped marching, and they looked at each other in silence. Not one of them had an answer to Frog's question. Finally, Frog spoke. I've got an idea. If you stay, I'll write a story about you, and I'll tell how you want it to be important. But you realize that you are important when you're doing what you were created to do. Again, you are important when you're doing what you were created to do. The letters huddled together, and after a while, capital O spoke. Okay, we'll agree to stay, but you'd better not forget uh, to write that story. Frog didn't forget. He wrote the story, and the letters, true to their word, are staying on this page as you read it. This is a neat story. Actually, it's a great little book that then at the end tells about the wisdom of the world, but then the wisdom of the word. Um, so thanks for listening to my story. And from that story, I do hope we see that like the letters in Frog's story, we flourish and we find our significance under the authority of the author of history and the author of our salvation. Now, when I say the word authority, I'm not sure how you respond. Some of you might squirm, and maybe for good reason. Maybe because of, because of authorities in your life, you have been treated wrongly, you have been abused, and you buck against authority because of that. And I want to say that obviously that is wrong, and what the authorities did, and that is, is judged by God. That, that is not okay. And yet, I think there's other reasons we squirm against authority. One, our own sinfulness and our rebellion against that. But two, the waters that we swim in, in this culture, that our culture is continually telling us, oftentimes, to reject outward authorities and to prioritize autonomy, the authority of the self. But Christian writer Oz Guinness rightly says that one of the major core expressions of worldliness is the rejection of authority. Thus, the way that we live as parents and as children, as employers or employees, as citizens, under or in authority, is all gospel work. It's work of the splendid king. And so as beloved children, how do we imitate God? And that's what we want to look at. And we're going to look at imitating God by knowing, submitting, and authority, and receiving. And we imitate by knowing God. Our imitation starts by knowing what consistent life-giving authority looks like. In the Godhead, we find the King of Kings, the Lord of the universe, who has all authority and all power, who executes his justice perfectly, who's faithful to all his promises, who displays love and righteousness and goodness in all his works. And when we look to Christ, when we look to the Son, we see a fully human Son who perfectly submitted to his earthly parents. And in Christ, we see the Son of God who totally submitted to his Father, most clearly seen the night before his crucifixion, in the garden, 
when he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup of wrath from me. But what? But not my will, but your will be done. In Christ, in knowing him, we have a great example. But we need more than example. And actually knowing God intimately, we have a security that allows us to rightly submit and to rightly willed authority that God has given us. What do I mean by that? What I mean is being secure in God's love um, allows our heart not to have to buck authority to get what we want or to use authority to get what he has already given us in Christ. Consider our parenting. How often do we parent out of insecurity? Can you think of some recent examples even this week? Maybe in the way that you discipline or how you discipline thinking, what will other people think of my kid? Or maybe not even disciplining because I don't want my kid not to like me or to uh, whatever I'm scared of conflict or whatever that insecurity might be. And I'm sure we've experienced this in the workplace too, right? The overbearing boss who just uses everybody underneath him uh, to cover his own insecurities, to promote himself. Or maybe the the boss that lacks leadership skills because he's such a people person. Out of these insecurities, we can't actually rightly move into the world as God's called us to. So what does it look like to live out of the security of love we find in knowing God um, intimately and not using authority to get it? I've shared sometimes, one, my love for Clemson, but also um, family stuff. And growing up, some of you knew that it was my lifelong dream to play baseball, not at NC State, but at Clemson. And uh, the reason was because my dad played baseball at, at Clemson. And I always played baseball, and I can say this honestly, I didn't want to make it to Clemson so that my dad would finally love me and approve of me. Actually, growing up, I knew that his favor was towards me, that every practice he was there smiling proud of me. And because of that, because of the security I had in that relationship, man, I wanted to be like dad. I wanted to play baseball at Clemson. Unfortunately, I didn't. And I went to the Citadel. But the security of that love moved me to want to follow, to imitate, uh, to imitate him. A delight and joy in our vertical relationship with God moves us, is the power, is the engine for godly authority and submission in our horizontal relationships. So what does it look like to submit? Well, Paul's first example he gives us is the command for children to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he's referring back to the fifth commandment, right? And he's specifically saying, children, one way you honor authorities in your life is obeying your parents. Or as I tell my own kids, what do I say, Bailey? Well, yeah, you don't, I'm not gonna put you on the spot. Uh, sorry. But obeying is doing what we say, when we say it, with a happy heart. And now, if you're a kid, I'm sure you've gotten sick of hearing um, about needing to obey, needing to obey. One, because at times we know that you know that you fail. But I want you to hear Jesus actually calling you to something better. Like the letters in the story that we read, Jesus, in obeying your parents, is calling you to be a part of his story about what he is doing. That he came and he gave his life. 2 Corinthians 5 says that Christ died so that we don't have to live for ourselves any longer, but we can live for something better. That we can imitate Jesus. That we find him there. Paul gives the reason, and he uses a proverbial statement. 
looking at that fifth commandment where he's basically telling us this is the way of eternal life. This is the way of, of Jesus. This is the way that leads to flourishing. You know, if you obey your parents, it typically will work out better for you. I know when we're young, we rarely think that. And even as children of God, we sometimes think we have the better way. And yet Paul's reminding us that I have laid out the better way, the life-giving way. So what does that mean for older children like me, like many of you who aren't in our home anymore? Obviously, it's different. Um, obviously, we're not to obey in a way we, we've actually now been uh, called uh, to lead our own families, to leave and cleave. Um, but we still are called to honor our parents. So I want to encourage you to honor them. How can you honor them? Maybe simple things like just thanking them for what they've done. Maybe it's something like reaching out and calling them. What is that for you? How, even as older adults, can we honor our parents? But kids, I'm sure you know plenty of ways that you can obey and honor your, kid, your parents. And I'm not going to try to give you all of those. But maybe today I can give you a few simple things. You can honor your parents by saying, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Actually just respecting, showing that you respect them. By saying thank you for all that they've done. A simple thank you is a great way to obey and honor. To acknowledge when you've done something wrong and say I'm sorry. And to let them know I love you. Those are so simple. And yet, those are ways that we can image Jesus even to our parents. And now as we look at the slave master instructions... I would summarize the principle that Paul lays out by saying that we are to work hard with integrity from a heart that's desiring to please the Lord above man. That God is pleased in Christ as we do our work by faith. And that ultimately, our ultimate allegiance is to Christ. For we are slaves to Christ, is what the New Testament tells us. I remember in college, I was part of a college uh, discipleship program, a beach project, and we went down to Cocoa Beach, and me and three other guys lived together, and we were given the job to work at a Hilton hotel in the laundry room, and so that was my job for the summer, and the lady who was the boss, who was in charge of it, I'm sure she was thinking, how did I get stuck with four college guys for the summer, and it was obvious that she didn't like it, because she was grumpy, and she was mean, and she would cuss us up and down, and she would tell me every day how messed up my folding abilities were with the sheets. And, well, Catherine probably wouldn't disagree. <laughs> but she let us know, and it was really miserable. Um, and for the first few weeks, she tried to make it as miserable as she could. I think she thought she'd just get rid of us, and that would make her summer easier. But I remember this passage comes to mind because that summer, me and the three other guys, uh, we acknowledged how miserable it was, and yet I remember us praying together, Lord, remind us that we are not working for man, but to please the Lord. And in that, it really did give us an encouragement and had an impact on this lady and uh, even gave us opportunities to share our faith. And though I don't think she came to faith, I do think we won her over. And I use that example because it's, that was a learning experience for me. But we're ultimately slaves to Christ. So how do we imitate, though, when we're not called to submit, but in where, areas where God's given us authority? How do we imitate him? I want to first remind us that the authority we have in any area of life is always an ambassadorial authority. 
is a word from Paul Tripp when he's talking about authority. Remi- uh, just remembering that any ambassador, right, they don't have authority in and of themselves. Their authority, as they go into another country or somewhere else, is a derived authority from the king. So they go on the authority of the king. Likewise, we enter our homes receiving authority from King Jesus. That we represent him in our home, and that's a high calling. That's why Paul says, don't provoke your children to anger. To use your authority with harshness and manipulation, dishonesty, to be hypocritical. You're not there for your kids to serve you. You are there to be an ambassador for the splendid king. That mission that we talked about, part of that mission out of this church is into our homes. And how do we do this? Well, we bring, Paul says, our kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, or also the, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to just bring out a few key points in what Paul's saying in this command to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. One is that kids need authorities, that God has uniquely placed you over your kids, that that's his plan for your kids. Now, there is one problem. Through you, he's also pa- you've also passed on a sinful nature. And so your kids have this heart issue. And authority is one of the key issues that every kid struggles with because of sin. Paul Tripp says that the fight's over when to go to bed, what to wear, what to watch on television, the condition of a child's room, are also not first about these issues. They're about this fundamental battle of the heart. Who? Who will decide how I live? Me or someone outside of myself? I remember when I was 14, uh, our church went on a youth uh, whitewater rafting trip, and it was fun, and, you know, it was all about the kids having fun, and I loved it, and I remember coming home, and it was my birthday, and we were going to have a birthday party. And my mom, I love, like, Japanese steakhouse, hibachi, so he, she had worked all uh, day making this big meal, made a cake, and I got all my, you know, my sleeping bag and all my bags, and I come in the door, walk into the kitchen, plop my, you know, I'm sure wet, whatever clothes on the ground, look at the cake, and it's a chocolate cake with chocolate icing, which I love, but it had M&Ms on it with a 1-4 with the M&Ms on the top, and I thought, this is the first party where girls are coming over, and I was like... They might think this is childish. So I said something like, That's, that cake looks stupid. And then just kind of walk my way right out of the room. Not good. I know. Well, so I go out there, and then I throw myself on the ground. I'm shooting hoops. And my dad quickly comes out and let me know the one I hadn't honored my parents, and I was in trouble. So he sends me back in the house, and my mom had locked herself in the closet and is crying. Bad, bad son. So I talked to her, and she says, you know, you've been ungrateful. This is not okay. The party's canceled. Well, this is about, you know, 20 minutes before everybody's supposed to come over. So I have to call all my friends really quick, and they all laugh at me today because I call all of them and just said, hey, I've been ungrateful. There's no party. Click. I've been ungrateful. No party. Click. No party. Um, but then the next year, when it was my birthday, my mom asked what kind of cake I wanted. Chocolate cake, chocolate icing, M&M's on top. This, in two weeks, I'll have my, oh, whatever the math is, my 42nd birthday. I've had the same cake every single year. But the beauty of it 
in one way is it's fun, it's funny, I love the cake, and teaches me thankfulness. But I do remember as a child how there can be so much foolishness and selfishness in a child's heart. And it reminded me that this world is not about me. I thought around my 14th birthday that it was all about me. And having a loving authority actually be able to step into that and, and redirect me um, was so important. And we need those because, especially as children, that's the laboratory that's going to uh, prepare us how to how move in into the world. And so, one, kids need authority. And then what do we do with that? What do parents do with the responsibility? It is to nurture and admonish. So who's got the responsibility? God has given you, parent, the responsibility. Not a school, not a team, not even the church. And in that sense, he's given you the special responsibility of nurturing and admonishing your kids, nurturing them, loving, caring, cherishing, instructing, showing grace, admonishing, correcting, disciplining, warning. And to what end? It's to the Lord, to see them grow in maturity in the Lord, to know the grace and love and ways of our God and to be able to move with the church to show off the splendor of the king. So a good question for parents is, are we doing that? Are we instructing? Are we leading them to worship the Lord in our homes? Are we shaping the way that they view the world and understand God's ways? Are we lovingly disciplining them with the desire of Christian maturity, just as God disciplines us? And are they seeing your need for Jesus? Are you repenting before them? I think these are good questions. And the last thing about the nurture and admonition of the Lord is that it still is done in the greater context of the church. I am so thankful for how we prioritize life groups. And I love when we get life group together and all the kids are running around and even disciplinary things have to happen. Um, because we get to encourage one another, we get to see one another, we get to come back as parents and say, man, I'm struggling, I don't know how to engage with this issue. Will you pray for me? Will you help give me advice? I'm thankful for Jonathan Skolrud. I don't know where Jonathan went, he was there earlier. There he is. Who we've met like almost every week the last nine years. And we get to share about hey, these are our struggles in parenting or as a husband. And I've grown so much as a father because of that time with him. And that's what we need. Our parents, uh, we need the church to help us to live this out, to nurture and admonish our kids. Really quick, um, to lead to our last point, what about the public authorities? Well, the principle is that we treat people under our authority as image bearers of God that our culture is struggling so much to define what it means to be human. But the doctrine of the Imago Dei, or the image of God, is the fundamental doctrine that breaks down so many of our social injustices. We've seen that in slavery. That's the reason uh, we would be against uh, human trafficking or abortion. But also, this teaching can drive people to Jesus, to grace, Tim Keller, former uh, pastor of Redeemer Church in New York, which many of you know, I've heard him share multiple times of an example of when he finished a sermon and a woman came up to him after the sermon and he asked, hey, how'd you find out about Redeemer Church? And she said, well, uh, interesting that you ask. She said, I didn't know anything about your church, uh, but I recently made an awful mistake at work and I knew I was done for. But my boss took the hit for me. 
And he, she said, no other boss would have done this. This blew me away. He was imitating or living for something different than I've ever seen in this world. She actually went up to him and said, hey, why did you do that? And he said something s- simply to the effect of, well, that's what Jesus did for me. And so we have the opportunity in the home and outside of the home to imitate the Lord, to show off the splendor of the king. But how do we do that? Again, that's what Damon said. It's by grace. It's not by striving. It's by receiving. That's the whole message of Ephesians. It's by grace that we are totally dependent on God to rightly use our authority. That we need his grace when our parenting goes sideways. We need his grace to parent without fear. We need his grace that we won't hide our failures from one another. We need his grace that we won't second guess every act of discipline or decision we make as parents. And we're totally dependent on God to bear fruit in the lives of our children. See, we have the privilege of authority. God has given us this unique privilege of authority in the home, but not the power to change. We have the privilege of authority, but not the power to change. That's what he does. And children, what is this teaching us? Jesus loves you. He invites you to come near to him. Even when you fail to obey your parents, Jesus invites you near. That he lived the perfect life and died the death you deserve. So even when you fail, you can come to him and receive forgiveness. He'll meet you there. And it also means that God isn't pleased by your attempts to obey him when you try to obey your parents, even when you don't do it perfectly. The Father loves to see your efforts to obey him in faith by grace. And I started with the frog story, and I want to end there. The frog in our children's story had the authority to use the letters to write a a wonderful story. But Christ is writing a bigger and a better story. Christ has all authority over all creation and all history, but he didn't just write a story. He entered into our story. The Philippians tells us he entered into our story by humbling himself, becoming a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross that a criminal or a slave would deserve. He entered in to display his love for you and for me. Our lives are his. Now that's authority that we can trust and that we can serve one another out of. Let's pray. Father, in this passage, we find commands to obey, to teach, to work. But all of this is done, Lord, in the context of knowing you, of knowing your grace, of knowing what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, that you did what we couldn't do for ourselves, and you credited us with what you did, so that now we can actually, as a church, move into the world displaying what a wonderful, splendid king you are. We need your grace to do that. And I pray, Lord, that we would not hear the word and forget about it as we leave here, but it would capture our hearts and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.